millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, everybody. Today's show is brought to you by Casper Mattresses. You see, Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses that are a fraction of the price of mattresses one can purchase in the store. The mattress industry has, for too long, forced consumers to pay notoriously high markups, and Casper has had enough. Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of their mattresses through cutting up the middleman, the retailer, and selling directly to you, the consumer. Now, you see, for years I've had trouble finding a mattress that has the perfect blend of bounce and stiffness until I finally received my own Casper mattress. Casper mattresses provide resilience and long-lasting supportive comfort, and this has literally changed the quality of my sleep overnight. Ha! A hybrid sleeping product that combines premium memory foam with latex foam, it has become the most awarded mattress of the last decade. Uh, mattresses start at $500, and they go as high as $950 for a California king-size mattress. These are great prices. If you, like me, are tired of expensive mattresses not actually making your quality of sleep any better, it is incumbent upon you, my friend, to go out and get one. Casper mattresses are easy to purchase, and you can do so risk-free. Casper offers free delivery right to your door, and if you are not satisfied with your purchase, you can return it within a hundred days at no cost. Let's be honest, guys and girls, lying on a mattress for a couple of minutes in a showroom is simply not enough time to tell if that is the right mattress for you. Now, Casper is willing to give the listeners of Cool Canadian History $50 off their first purchase. All you need to do is go to the link caspertrial.com slash history. That's Casper, C-A-S-P-E-R, trial, T-R-I-A-L dot com slash history. Get your purchase, get your mattress, sleep better now. Hello and welcome to Cool Canadian History. I'm your host, David Boris. Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 16, The Chatham Colored All-Stars. Now, over a decade before Jackie Robinson played in his first Major League Baseball game, the Chatham Colored All-Stars from Ontario broke the color barrier for semi-pro baseball in Canada and became key figures in the historical fight against racism in this country. Today's book recommendation is actually a comic. That's right, 
a comic book. The title is All Stars, written and illustrated by Scott Chandler, tells the story of the Chatham-colored All-Stars in a highly accessible and wonderfully illustrated format. You can purchase the comic book via Scott's website, scottchandler.com. Okay, so the sport of baseball has as much historical root in Canada as it does in the United States. While today, of course, Major League Baseball is a corporate giant based out of the U.S., and of course, baseball is considered America's pastime, the sport came into existence in both countries at almost the same time. In fact, some historians claim that the first ever modern baseball game, as in the game of baseball with the rules we'd recognize today, was in fact played in Canada in 1838, one year before Abner Doubleday formally quote-unquote invented the game, though even the Doubleday invention myth is itself highly dubious amongst historians. Despite there being little evidence for the 1838 Canadian game, and a bit more, yet still quite questionable evidence of the Doubleday invention theory, it is clear at the same time that baseball was taking off in the United States, it was also becoming popular here. By the 1860s, the game of baseball, so nine innings, four bases, nine players, was being played throughout most of what would become the country of Canada. For most of the second half of the 19th century, Canadian teams competed with American teams, preferring to travel north-south as opposed to east-west. Teams from British Columbia competed against teams from Washington State, teams in Quebec with teams in New York, and teams from the Maritimes with teams from New England. The game was truly continental at this point. By the late 1870s, professional and semi-pro leagues were springing up all over the continent. Perhaps the most important one was the National League, formed in 1876, which would eventually merge with a second professional league, known as the American League, to form Major League Baseball, the MLB. As a side note for you trivia fans out there, the first Canadian to appear in a Major League Baseball game was New Brunswick's own Bill Phillips, who played for Cleveland in 1879. When he hit a home run in 1880, he also became the first Canadian to ever hit a Major League home run. But I digress. Through the course of the late 19th century, baseball was becoming more and more professionalized with a supporting minor league system while becoming more and more popular. Even while the MLB dominated the professional world of baseball by the early 20th century, a number of semi-pro leagues, farm town leagues, industrial leagues, and regional leagues covered both Canada and the United States. By 1914, Canada, in fact, had 24 minor league franchises, the most in its history. That same year, a young up-and-coming minor league player named Babe Ruth hit his first ever professional home run in Hanlon's Point Stadium in Toronto. This Babe Ruth was playing for the Providence Grays against the Toronto Maple Leafs, not the hockey team. The Toronto Maple Leafs were also a minor league baseball club with the same name. 
Of all the leagues that were never part of the major league professional structure, perhaps the most famous were the Negro Leagues, that being the leagues where only black players could play in. Why, you ask? Because black players were banned from playing professional ball and had to essentially form their own teams and leagues. Yet baseball was extremely popular in many black communities across the country, and many players, despite being amateur in status, were quite skilled. To this day, a number of players who only ever played in the Negro Leagues are considered to have been as good or even better as some of their contemporaries in Major League Baseball. In the 1930s, a group of young black men in Chatham, Ontario, decided to form a ball team. They had been playing pickup for years and felt they were good enough to compete against other organized teams in the region. They thus began touring southern Ontario playing quote-unquote friendly matches against various teams, both white and black. The thing was, the Chatham team was crushing everybody. The various teams they played against simply could not stand up to the talent and skill of the group of friends from the Sterling Park area of Chatham's East End. In 1933, a local white businessman from the East End of Chatham and a key member of the Ontario Baseball Amateur Association, the OBAA, noticed this team and was able to get them into the City League. Now they were playing against only white teams. The Chatham Colored All-Stars, a title given to them by league officials, established a popular following quite quickly. People were amazed at this highly skilled, hard-working ball team that was more than a match for the various white teams in the OBAA. Just a quick reminder before we continue, you can find us on all your podcast listening devices, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and at our homepage, coolcanadianhistory.com. If you go to our Facebook page or our website, you will see links to PayPal or Patreon. Both of these links provide safe and secure ways to donate to the podcast. PayPal gives you the option to donate one time. And in fact, now PayPal has established a set donation per month or week. So you can actually set up a small donation every month, whatever uh, works for you. At the same time, Patreon allows you to set up regular preset donations. So if you want to donate two bucks for every episode we publish, Patreon will allow you to set that up. Or if you want to give us two bucks every month, PayPal will allow you to set that up. Or if you want to donate 20 or 30 or 50 or $100 to the podcast, PayPal will allow you to do that. You see, we survive heavily on your donations, and every dollar donated is extremely helpful in allowing us to continue to bring you this history program. As well, on our Facebook page and on iTunes, you can leave us a rating and a comment. We love to hear from you, so please don't be shy. Now back to the program. On the roster for the Chatham Colored All-Stars was Wilfred Boomer Harding, who later broke the color barrier when he became the first black player to play hockey in the International Hockey League for the Windsor Staffords, and was also the first black player to ever play in Detroit's Olympia Stadium. Some, in fact, have called him Ontario's own Jackie Robinson. King Terrell, was a left-handed third baseman who was thought at the time to be the best third baseman in all of Ontario. 
Earl Chase, nicknamed Flat, was the team's main pitcher and power hitter. Earl shattered home run records throughout Ontario during his time with the All-Stars. Willie Shoganish was not black, but was in fact First Nations from the Ojibwe Nation and was a feared fastball pitcher. The team even recruited a catcher and a shortstop from Detroit. Throughout the 1930s, the All-Stars were a force to be reckoned with. In 1934, they won their first OBAA title, the first black team to do so in Canadian history. In 1939, they reached the OBAA finals once again, but a dispute arose over the location of the final game, and a championship was never awarded. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Without a doubt, in an era of intense racism towards black communities, both in the United States and Canada, the Chatham-colored all-stars faced serious racial barriers. Racial taunts from the nearly all-white crowd was a constant. Questionable calls by various white umpires was to be expected. In fact, Boomer Harding had a tactic he used when an umpire seemed to be calling the game unfairly. And I'll quote his son Blake Harding talking about his dad's tactic. And Blake says, and I quote, There was a lot of favoritism because all of the umpires were Caucasian at the time. And they, the Chatham-colored All-Stars, quite often didn't get a call. So he, Boomer, had a talent for getting their attention. They used to wear, the umpires, the big air-filled chest protectors. But their head was still in that cage, and Mr. Chase could almost throw a hundred-mile-an-hour fastball. So Dad would set up high move his glove, and let the ball hit or ring the umpire's cage, or let one slip low and catch him on the shins or something. After that, he would get better calls. Even when they made the finals in 1934, the OBAA unusually forced the All-Stars to play a whole extra game, which they won 13-7 to secure their first championship. When traveling for away games, the team was barred from staying in many white-only hotels or eating in many white-only restaurants. White opponents would often try to injure members of the Chatham team. Fights were common, both in the games and afterwards. In fact, in one instance recorded, a crowd attempted to attack the All-Stars after a victory. The crowd couldn't get to the team, but instead resorted to throwing stones and sticks as the team boarded their bus. However, even at the time, there was a subtle realization that the team was helping break down racial views of the period, as told once again by Boomer Harding's son Blake, and I quote, First, in 34, it was a novelty, kind of like a freak show. And that was the attitude when they went to play. When they left, it was just, those guys can play ball, whether they wanted to admit it or not. 
It was just chipping away at mindsets that were formed throughout the states and throughout Canada. And it was an awakening for a lot of people that, okay, if they run them out of town, it was because they feared their ability and that we've just been made to look bad. That changed over the years to not being a freak show, to being let's go out and see a ball game because it's going to be a good one. Now, when war erupted in 1939, the Chatham All-Stars folded with most of the players in the OBAA, including several from the All-Stars themselves, enlisting into the military. Though short-lived, the Chatham-colored All-Stars were one of the earliest pioneers in breaking down racial barriers in Canadian sport. Along with legends like William Hall and Viola Desmond, the members of the All-Stars challenged the racist culture that dominated a white supremacist Canada in the mid-early 20th century. In 1984, the city of Chatham unveiled a plaque commemorating this historically significant team. In 2001, the Toronto Blue Jays honored the All-Stars by wearing special Chatham jerseys in a game against the Mets in New York. In 2002, the Blue Jays held a special ceremony to honor the last living members of the All-Stars as well as the descendants of deceased players. The Blue Jays once again wore Chatham jerseys for the game that day. While they only played as a team for seven years, the Chatham-colored All-Stars undoubtedly became a significant part of Canadian sporting history and were brave pioneers in the struggle against racism and breaking down racial barriers in Canada. A reminder, you can find us on iTunes, Facebook, Instagram, and at our homepage, www.coolcanadianhistory.com. You can find me on Twitter, at Doc Boris. That's at D-O-C-B-O-R-Y-S. And I want to thank you all for listening. For Cool Canadian History, I'm David Boris. Until next time, stay cool. Stay cool.